Good morning, Heritage. This uh, this morning, our scripture reading is going to be in Matthew 24. I'll give you a moment to turn there. It's going to be on page pages 829 and 830 if you're using one of the Bibles in the back. Again, that's Matthew 24. We're going to be reading the first 31 verses together. And uh, I'll remind us all, myself included, that this is Holy Scripture, the Word of God that we're reading. Let's read it that way. Jesus left the temple and was going away when when his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. But he answered them, You see all these, do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be left one There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the close of the age? And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of the birth pains. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because of lawlessness, and because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the, in the holy place, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down to take what is in his house. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that your flight may not be in winter or on a Sabbath. For then there will be great tribulation, such as has not been from the beginning of the world until now, no, and never will be. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. And see, I have told you beforehand. So if they say to you, look, he is in the wilderness, do not go out. If they say, look, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. 
Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory, and he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. This is God's word. There is a sense in which um, all of life can be viewed in terms of what is already and what is not yet. You can view every day like that. It is already Sunday. It is not yet Monday. It is already the beginning of a sermon, but it's not yet the end. You are already 13. You are not yet 14. You can think of countless things that are just that way. And that's what we have in, in the passage before us. We have things that are already for us, but were not yet for them. That is the destruction, the just destruction of Jerusalem. A tragic and terrible event. It was not yet for them. So Jesus had to tell them what had not already happened. For us it is already. And we can look back and we can see what happened. And we can see the parallels. The precursor that it is to what is not yet for everyone. The second coming of Christ. That's what the passage is principally about. It is about the return of the king. That's what we're going to look at. D.A. Carson says, Few chapters of the Bible have called forth more disagreement among interpreters than Matthew 24. And its parallels in Mark 13 and in Luke 21. I have not come uh, to equip you in, in this debate. I couldn't do it if I wanted to. Uh, maybe one of my brothers could do that, one of, them, of my fellow pastors, but I, I can't do it. There's a big picture here. In this chapter, Jesus tells us two main things. The destruction of Jerusalem and his second coming, which shifts the focus from an earthly temple to himself. Because he is the true temple. He is the meeting place for all the world, for the nations, for all the peoples of the earth. There's no place you have to go. The throne of God is everywhere and Jesus is sitting upon it. He was going to leave that temple. Well, that's what Grant read, didn't he? Didn't Grant read you that that he was leaving the temple He was never going to return. 
He was never going to go back. Here's our simple outline then. I think that will be helpful that we can carry away. I trust are the best things, not for debating, not for defending an eschatological position, but to enjoy the glory of Jesus as it's found in this passage. Uh, Number one, trust in the authority of Christ and be confident and be at peace. Number two, persevere in the power of Christ for the glory of Christ. And number three, look for, live for, long for the coming of Christ. So, in the first place, then we observe that um, we should trust in the authority of Christ and be confident and be at peace. Jesus left the temple and he was going away when his disciples came to point out the buildings of the temple. But he answered them, do you see all these? You see all these, don't you? Truly I say to you, truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. That is a shocking statement. You have to put yourself in their place. These were the wonderful buildings, the wonderful stones that are spoken of In Mark chapter 13, it was adorned with noble stones. That's what it says in Luke uh, 21. What Jesus just said is inconceivable to them. This landmark, this architectural wonder, uh, uh, perhaps they were standing on a mountain where they could see more of it. This, This was a fantastic building in the Middle East. And what Jesus says... A catastrophe. It is going to be destroyed as hard and as inconceivable as it it is to believe this. It's going to be raised, R-A-Z-E-D, to the ground. And, And so when Jesus begins to speak about these things, he's talking about something because he has all authority that's going to happen 40 years later. There'd be no indication that it's going to happen, but it's going to happen. And so they ask in verse 3, they ask him privately, tell us, when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming at the end of the age? They have these two questions. So in, in, in verses 4 through 14, Jesus first begins to answer the second question. He speaks of things that will happen uh, through the whole age and leading up un, until the end of, of the age. The, 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 the last word of verse 14 are then, the end will come. But, but in verses 15 through 21, he speaks of the more immediate circumstances of the destruction of Jerusalem. You can look at verse 15 and and you'll see it says, so when you see the abomination of the desolation. 
This is something that was prophesied by Daniel the prophet. This is, he speaks about it at least four times in Daniel 8.13, in Daniel 9.27, in Daniel 11.31, and in Daniel 12.11. Uh, Leon Morris says that where, where most scholars agree that this is a desecration perpetuated by Antiochus Epiphanes when he built an altar to Zeus in the temple and offered swine and other unclean animals as sacrifices. But Daniel spoke of this hundreds and hundreds of years before. Jesus speaks of it 40 years in in the future, it was a horrible abomination. It, it was the worst thing that could possibly have done, be done in that holy place. And then uh, from verses 16 uh, to 23, we, we see what surely happened. And this is for us already. We... we we already have seen this. Here's a summary of what happened in verses 16 uh, through 23. It's terrible. It's horrific. The, the time of Jerusalem's uh, destruction in A.D. 70 was a horrifying, ghastly time. It was a virtual Bloodbath of Jewish men and women were pummeled by the Roman army. The, uh, the Jewish historian uh, uh, Josephus uh, described the, the, the savagery, the slaughter, disease, and famine that marked the Jewish people uh, during those years. Parents resorted to cannibalism <laughs> with their own children. And many Jews were taken into in slavery. The death toll was in the millions. All, and all of this took place about 40 years after Jesus said these words to his, his disciples. It is little wonder that he tells them in verse 15 to flee when those things start taking place. They were told not even to go to their homes and get their clothes. Don't go after the cloak. Don't go into your house uh, to get anything. Your life is worth so much more than that. We begin to understand why Jesus spoke of woe to pregnant women and nursing mothers. What a tragedy to flee with a baby on your breast or a baby in your womb running because you'll lose your life if you don't. They had to flee. If it was on a Sabbath day where the city was closed and they kept a strict Sabbath and then there were certain things that just couldn't be done on that day, we've been set somewhat free from that. But in those days, they were unable to take the necessary precautions or if they're flight in winter where there were frequent rains and the waters would rise, making it difficult to to Escape. That's what you have. That's the destruction of Jerusalem in verses 16 uh, through 23. And we learn some things, don't we? We learn that 
things that seem so permanent and things that seem immovable. You think of the skyscrapers in the United States. You think of New York City. You, you, you think of Chicago, Los Angeles, San Antonio, Miami. You, you think of Manila. You think of Bangkok, Thailand. You, you, you think of du- Dubai. You think of Paris. You think of Rome. You think all these things are permanent. How fragile they are. If this landmark temple could be brought to the dust, what makes any building stand? What makes any nation stand? Isaiah says this. Isaiah says, behold, the nations are like a drop in the bucket. Can you hear the drop? That's two drops. Just the one. Falling in that galvanized bucket. He says they are accounted, not the cities, not the buildings, not the skyscrapers, the nations. He says the nations are like dust on the scale. The nations. That's all they are. When the sunlight shines through your living room window and you see the dust on the table that you couldn't see before. The nations. That's a lesson to learn. That there is nothing permanent here. There's nothing sure and certain here except the rock of Jesus Christ. That high tower. That place to flee if you have Jesus, you have everything. You have what you you have a kingdom that will not be destroyed, that cannot be destroyed. You have everything you need, even if you have nothing here. If you have Christ, you have everything. Jesus taught. Jesus taught in this passage that the days would be shortened, that the days for them. And it, and if it means two things, it, it could mean two things. I think it does mean two things, but at least for them, it meant the days will be shortened. Why? Why will they, oh, oh, will they be shortened? He says in verse 22, for the sake of the elect. Don't be afraid of that word. <laughs> because without election, we cannot be saved. It's what we believe about election that is so glorious and, and, and so wonderful. Election took place before the foundation of the world. E- election takes place in this world in order to do one thing, to save sinners. That's all it's for. God has got to choose us. He's got to choose us first or we'll never choose him. That's how fallen and broken this world is. You can prove it over and over and over again. Why are Christians hated so much? Why do they hate us? Why do they hate the people who are full, who are full of love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, Long-suffering, gentleness, kindness, self-control, generosity, helpfulness, 
pleasantness, politeness. Why are we hated? Because the world is broken. The world is fallen. The world is in darkness. And we would be just like those ones who hate us without God choosing us. And if you're worried whether you are elect or not, it is not your concern. Because I can tell you something. You have been chosen. If you're lost today, you've been chosen. If if you can hear my voice, you've been chosen. You've been chosen to be in a church, a Bible-believing church. You've been chosen to have some connection with Christianity. You've got Christian parents. You've got at least one Christian parent. You've been chosen for a Christian education. Many of you have had that. You've been chosen to be in a place where you know there are true worshipers of God. These people are not fakes. They are not pretending. You know that you have true pastors, true deacons, true brothers and sisters in Christ, true small group leaders. You've got all of, you've been chosen for all of that. You've been chosen to be exposed to the gospel. And you know what our prayer is? That it's not for judgment. It's not to increase your judgment. It's not to increase your responsibility and accountability before God in that last day. It's so that you might be saved. That's why. You've been chosen. You've been chosen to hear the gospel. All over India, they they don't even know his name. Bhutan. Uttar Pradesh needs Jesus. But you hear it. You hear his name. You can find him. You can seek him out. You can talk to anybody here after the service and you can have Jesus. You can learn more about him. Don't cross your arms like this. Don't do that. Don't push him away. Don't do that. His arms are like this for you. Come unto me. Come to me. There's room for all. Whosoever shall call upon the name. We heard that in Joel this morning in Sunday school. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You can come. You've got to come. Decide to come. Don't decide not to do nothing and and to keep on running away. We learn that from this passage. God has a care. Christ has a care for his elect. Going to shorten the days. Not going to try them too much. Not going to overwhelm them. They're going to make it. They're going to endure to the end. That's what's being taught. Well... We learn also then that there are false Christs and false prophets and they're going to, they're going to perform signs and wonders. That is not the proof of anything. The way they prove who they are is by how they live, their holiness, their godliness of life. And he's concerned of, of, about the elect in verse 24, even They're going to lead many astray. There's going to be many of them, and they're going to lead many astray. And even if possible, it's not possible, but even if possible, if they could, they would deceive even the elect. But that's not going to happen. So Jerusalem, under the authority of Christ, was destined to be destroyed. Not one stone upon another. And yet the elect of Jerusalem could trust in their Savior. 
And they would be delivered. They would endure. They would be ultimately saved. So in, in, in the second place then, we learn that we, we must persevere in the power of Christ for the glory of Christ. That's what he's talking about when he's speaking of uh, the second coming. In verse 4, he says, Do not be deceived. Do not be led astray. Many will be. Not a few are going to be deceived. In, in verse 6, he, he says, Do not be alarmed. Why not? Because Jesus says these things must take place. They are planned. The plan is, is perfect. And what is the plan? It's the plan that we can't see so clearly here because we live in the United States. We cannot see the plan of persecution. When persecution takes place all over the earth, in every place, one writer said, is there any nation under heaven where the ground is not stained by the blood of martyrs? Is there any place? Can you find a place? Can you find a nation where a Christian has not been killed uh, for his trust in Christ? Uh, David Platt says it's, uh, it's not because they believe the gospel. Martyrs don't die because they believe the gospel. They die because they proclaim the gospel. They let it be known. They're not ashamed of, of, of the gospel. They'll kneel down in orange outfits and have their heads cut off. Glory to God. Look what God does. Isn't that wonderful? <laughs> A stupendous God to sustain His people in all of these troubles. I gotta get back to my sermon. I, I, boy, you, you can, you know, touch an iPad and all kinds of stuff happens while you're trying to talk. <laughs> I thought I knew how to do this. But anyway, persecution will be the order of, 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 of the day. And we've seen it down to this very day. There will be imposters, deceivers, fakes, famines, wars. Uh, 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 verse 9 says that we'll be hated by by everybody. He says that these are just the birth pains. These are, well, a woman can tell you what that is. We men, we don't fully understand it. But when you go into labor, you know something's happening. You know there's going to be a conclusion. You know, you, but you don't know how long. I've heard these stories. I've overheard these stories. All night long, three days, three months of labor. I, I, I've heard that kind of stuff. Our heart goes out to you. We love you. We love you more. <laughs> we can't do that. We're amazed that an immortal soul comes out of your womb. We, but it comes out. See, that's the thing. And what Jesus is saying, when you see these things happening, these are the birth pains. We're living in those days, folks. We're living in the days of the birth pains. And we don't know how soon that birth will come, but we know it will surely come. It does have a conclusion, and it will come. 
If we lived in other nations, we would understand this passage better. We would not be dreaming about any kind of pre-tribulation rapture. They'd say, what in the world are you talking about? Because there is tribulation in every other place. People are suffering. They are not being raptured away anyway. And, and if, and, 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 and if, if, if you look at verse 29, you'll see that clearly. I'm not, I'm, I'm not trying to be polemical. I'm not arguing. I'm, I'm just saying, in, Jesus says immediately after the tribulation the, of those days, the sun will be darkened and then I am coming back. We'll be here for the tribulation. What we learn from this is that God will be with us. God will see us through. There's no temptation that you can face. There, you, 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 you will never be lost. And, and if persecution inevitably comes from proclamation and, and, and we are not in, in another nation where we can proclaim it, we can proclaim it here. And as we find out what's happening in other nations, we can pray. I cannot underestimate, I cannot underemphasize the need to pray and, 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 and to seek God to extend His kingdom and, and, and to reach those unreached peoples and those unengaged peoples of the earth and even the people in, in our own United States that live in dark cities, dark portions of cities that need the gospel. We, we've got to be a praying people. We've got to do that. But God has us. As our brother Jason said, God's got us. And so I was so blessed by what he said. He's like preaching up there. It's wonderful, his passion. God has us and we will never be lost. Jesus said this. He said, my sheep hear my voice. And I know them. No matter what happens in in this passage between now and his second coming, he has us. He says, I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. You realize that, dear Christian? If, if, if you are a sheep of God, you are in Christ's hand. He holds on to you. He grips you. He'll never let you go. You try to let go of him, he will not let you go. You cannot be let go of. And then he says, no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me. That numberless elect group in every generation. A multitude which no man can number. My Father who has given to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. No one. No one can do it. I and the Father are one. This is our God. This is our Savior. This is it's the only reason that he's brought us all these years. You know, I'm 61 years old all of a sudden. I can't believe it. I was 50 for 10 years. And 61 has come. But what is, what is my testimony? What is your testimony? If you are a Christian, God has brought you all the way. He has brought you all the way. And, and if, if you ask Faith Reed, the oldest saint in our church, 
she'll tell you the same. Ask her. Be blessed by her life. Be blessed by her testimony. Be blessed by the grace of God in an old saying. I'm so encouraged. No matter how old we get, Christ is with us. He will take care of us. We're all on that same train. I keep saying that. We're all on the same train. We're going at exactly the same velocity. You're just a little bit behind me. We're on the same train, buddy. I'm not the engine of the train either. I'm somewhere in the middle. But, but that's what God is doing. And, and, and we've got to give glory to God. Let's be prepared, dear people. I am not a prophet. I don't know what will happen in, in, in our lifetime in these United States. But let us not be surprised if persecution increases. Do not be, don't act like it's some strange thing that's happening to us. And, 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 and know that it's, it's already happening elsewhere. I don't know why I can't understand God's mercy to us. We are a wicked, wretched nation. We put two candidates up. Your choice is, is between an evil one and another evil one. That's all we got. And you can have pragmatic reasons for, for choosing one over the other. I hope you'll vote your conscience. I hope you'll vote for the glory of God. Because God is the one who reigns. He's the one who's in charge of all of these things. But we learn from this passage, coming back to the passage, we learn that persecution comes because of proclamation. But proclamation results in consummation. It results in the second coming of Christ. Look at, at verse 27 and, and, and glance to the end of, of the chapter. You'll see there what Daniel predicted, even though Jesus doesn't refer to Daniel. Ah, the Jews love Daniel. Daniel said this 400 years earlier. He said, I saw in the night visions and I behold and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came up to the Ancient of Days and, and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom. That all peoples, nations, languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. Which will not pass away. And his kingdom is one which shall not be destroyed. That's what he said. So when you come to verse 27, you hear the words of Jesus. He says, for as lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will the Son of, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures uh, will gather. And, and, and you wonder, what is that? Why does he say that? It, it was a common proverb for them. Why do vultures come? Do they come for no reason? Do, do they come just kind of hang out together and enjoy a Coke or something? No. They come because there is a carcass. There is a judgment. There is a dead body. You can see the vultures. It's not a secret. 
uh, some in interpretive passages uh, uh, to mean in as much as the vultures cannot miss the carcasses, you will not miss the coming of the Son of God. He will come in a visible way. He, he will come like lightning. He, he says that uh, immediately after, after the tribulation, this is the consummation, after proclamation, after persecution, consummation comes. Hallelujah. It says that the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give light and the stars will fall from the heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man and all the tribes of earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call. And they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. It will be visible. It will be sudden. It will be stunning. It will be sad for some. Why do the nations mourn? Because they neglected that Savior. They did not receive that Savior. They, they, I lost my sermon again. It will be irreversible. What happens will be irreversible. Man, I wish I could find my sermon. You gotta be careful what you do with your hands, you know. This is, this is, this is, this is bad news. Here, let's go, let's see if I can get back here. If I go to, no. Well, I can't find it. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna go ahead and, and, and preach without it. The second coming of Christ. Oh, Jonathan, maybe you can help me. <laughs> These young guys, man, what do we do without them? It's on there somewhere. I, I, I just bumped it. But what I want to say, this is, this is really pretty serious. I'll be, because Christ is, ah, I love you. <laughs> I started to say it will be sad for some because Christ will come back and they'll see all of this. It'll be inescapable and they will mourn. Oh, they'll be so sad because they did not receive Christ. It'll be super for others. It's super for the elect. And where are they? They're the four corners of the earth. They're all over the earth. In, in that day, it will be stupendous for the Savior. He first came in a manger, and now He's coming with the clouds of heaven. Glorious day. It will be the vindication of Jesus Christ. He'll be seen for all that He truly was. I used to think, un, un, until Joe Wilson preached this one time, I used to think that it, it, it was the vindication of every believer, and it will be. You'll be proved that you were right, that you did the right thing, that, that you lived the right kind of life. But one time, Joe Wilson he totally ignored that idea, and he said it will be the vindication of Jesus Christ. And he was who he said he was. 
And the multitude of people all, all around him will prove that. These are my sheep. Men and women and boys and girls from every tribe and tongue and, and nation. Every single one of them. He, he will have lost none of them. It, it, it is an innumerable multitude that, that will be seen on that day. Uh, the graves will open. The seas will give up their dead. No matter where you are, what yourselves became a part of, God will bring you all back. All back with a glorified body. And it will be irreversible. It will never change. And that's why. Where will you be? Where will you be? Will you be among those who mourn? Or will you be among those who are glad? We desperately want you to be with us. If you're outside of Christ right now, we want you in Christ. We want you to be in Christ. We want you to be a new creature. We want old things to pass away. We want new things to come. That's what we want. All you must do is turn to the Lord. Call upon Him. Trust in Jesus. Trust in, in, in this Christ who died for your sins. Trust in that blood. That's all we're trusting in. That's what we just symbolized. We got nothing else. It's not our works. It's not our good deeds. It's not that we're better than other people because we're not. It's the blood. It's the body of Christ. It's His righteousness. That's all we got. It's all we want. It's all we need. We offer Him freely to you. You've got to have that. Well, the passage closes then with these parables then. I know we've flown over it. But these are the truths that you can carry with you, that you can't argue about, but can bless your souls. From the fig tree uh, that we read about, this is an image of, of, of confidently watching and realizing the signs of his second coming. We see some of them now. We don't feel like we're on the verge of it right now. But we're seeing what Jesus said. We, we're in the midst of, of, of these birth pains. We don't know how long uh, they will last. But that's what we learn from that. And we learn from Noah. We learn from Noah that there was accountability for all the people that saw him building that ark. He preached. He told them about even though they had never seen rain before. They ignored it. Uh, they were unaware. Noah didn't know when the flood was going to come. He just knew what his duty was. He was obeying God. And things were going on in their normal sequence. It's not that they were doing bad things. They were even good things. They were eating and drinking and getting married. What? There's nothing wrong with that. But if you make that the end of, of itself, if you make a God out of that, and if that's all you live for, and, and, and you don't live for Christ and for His kingdom. It's a bad thing. Whatever is keeping you from Christ is a bad, bad thing. Even if, even if it's a good thing. And we learn from Jesus' words in, in verse 36. He says, but concerning the day and, and, and the hour, no one knows. Stop these predictions. Stop doing that. That's stupid. The angels, not even the angels of heaven. And guess what? Because of his hum, humiliation, because of his voluntary humiliation, 
he says even he doesn't know. He laid aside his omniscience. No surprise, he laid aside his omnipotence. He laid aside his omnipresence. He, he laid aside those things which made him recognizable as, as, as the infinite Son of God. So here he lays aside his omniscience and he says, I don't even know. It's not, it's not the will of my Father for me to know or to tell you. But the fact of the matter is, it is certain. The day and the hour is certain, even though no one knows ex- except for the Father. So you have comfort there. And then Jesus says, based on the separation of those who were working together, uh, and based upon the Master not knowing or when the thief would break in. He teaches that, that, that I, I'm, I am coming. I am surely coming, but not when you expect. Not in an hour that you expect. Because if you expected me, uh, uh, you would have called upon me, but two are going to be separated who uh, were working together. One goes to glory. Uh, uh, one is left behind. Two are in the field. One goes to glory. One is left behind. It just breaks our hearts to think that anybody here on the sound of the gospel would, would be left behind. So we have seen the just destruction of, of Jerusalem. How it is emblematic of the not yet a second coming that will surely come. Spurgeon said this, My theology is found in four small words. Jesus died for me. I want to give you the key to eschatology. It's my key. It's in this passage. It's one verse. My eschatology... My view of future things, one verse. It's verse 24. This gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world for a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. That's all I need. That's my eschatology. Matthew 24, 14. Is the certainty of it. It will be proclaimed. The arena will be the entire world. The purpose of it will be for a testimony to all the nations. All the nations are going to hear the gospel. They're all going to see the glory of Christ. God's going to save his elect out of all of them. Nothing excluded. And then, dear people, the end will come. That's the only thing that's holding it up. The only thing that's holding it up is the gospel getting to the nations. Let's pray. Our blessed Heavenly Father, how we rejoice to be found in your kingdom. How we rejoice for the open 
invitation, even the command, even your desire that sinners repent and come to you. We praise you for this. You're that kind of God. We thank you that you will be with us in every trial and every tribulation, no matter how fierce it may be. We will endure to the end. You'll see to that. We have this confidence. We thank you that uh, the gospel will be proclaimed. That this generation of young people, this generation of students, this generation of retired people are taking the gospel to the nations. We praise you for that. We praise you for every one of our missionaries in Ireland, in Mexico, in Serbia, in Africa, in, in every place that you're going to say, in Tanzania is going to come, in every place. Thank you for favoring us with this privilege in Owensboro, Kentucky, in Davis County, and our desire for our own country. We thank you, God. Empower us. May everyone be encouraged to stay and revel in the grace of our glorious Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray this in His name. Amen.